Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk podcasts. This is your host, Susie Lewis, speaking from Toulouse. This episode of Let's Talk, we will be discussing the role of a coaching culture in times of crisis. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Gillian Jones, founder and managing director of Emerge Development Consultancy, centered on leadership development, organizational strategy and executive coaching. Gillian, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Susie. It's a pleasure. You were also recently nominated as one of the Laszlo 100 Top Female Entrepreneurs. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And you are also the author of two books, 50 Top Tools for Coaching and How to Create a Coaching Culture. That's quite a list of achievements. <laughs> thank you very much. And I must also give a shout out to my co-author, Ro Gorel, on both books. We've been through quite a journey with them. With We're in our fifth edition of 50 Top Tools for Coaching and second edition of How to Create a Coaching Culture. So um, she writes from Australia and we, we co-author together across the world. Excellent. Co-creating impact across the world. I like it. <laughs> Yeah, back to one of our favourite discussion points then, culture and coaching. So Gillian, you have dedicated a lot of your career to helping and coaching leaders to open up organisational culture and change the conversations that are being had there. But before we delve into that a bit more, can you tell us a bit more about your journey to becoming an entrepreneur and how it's contributed to what you do? Certainly. And uh, it goes back a long, long time. Um, So... Um, it sounds like a once upon a time, 25 years ago, um, <laughs> I started my business, my training business. And in those days, coaching was a very, very new philosophy. Mm-hmm. People asked us to do one-to-one coaching sessions, but we didn't really know quite what we were supposed to be doing differently um, or how much to charge for it. Uh-huh. But I did these sessions and they seemed to work out quite well. And as I did them, I would come out of it and I would write down the structure and the methodology that I used. And that's where the 50 top tools for coaching started because I'd keep a record of them um, so that I could understand how did that help. But at that time, there also wasn't anything really around on coaching ethics, on coaching structure, on being able to draw up contracts with your clients or anything like that at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was all very, very early in the coaching philosophy days. And what's your biggest learning from that? Because you've been on the journey of evolution, therefore, of coaching and and (laughs) what it's become in organisations today. Yeah, I think that the learning that it really is important to have structure to coaching contracts and clients, to have guidelines, to have boundaries that you can continually refer back to, but at the same time to remain very agile during the individual sessions. So there's this kind of balance between having that sort of fairly rigid structure, but then accepting that anything could happen in any coaching session. Okay, so it's sort of the polarity between being structure and discipline, but creating a space where it's agile enough for the coachee to go on their own journey. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we carried on doing more and more coaching Mm -hmm. and that first book became published. And we were also at the time training a lot of organisations in coaching skills, training managers to skill, Mm -hmm. uh, to be skilled up. And 
that's when I got quite interested in what a coaching culture was because I sort of noticed that all these managers were learning coaching skills, but then they weren't really adopting it. They were mm. they were talking about coaching as if it was an it. And when you <laughs> asked them what the it was that they didn't think they had time to do, it made it sound like they had this very, very important job to do. And someone had given them this side order of people <laughs> had nothing to do with them achieving their job. So I started to investigate what about mindset mm-hmm. and you know coaching shouldn't just be between two people who were manager and reportee or contracted person reportee but what about peer coaching and what about mentoring and what about lessons learned and all the other things mm-hmm organizations can do to mm. ensure people are learning all the time so if we come back to the idea of mindset what, yeah. what is a coaching culture for you could could you define it for me I think you would have to look at the difference between an empowered culture and a blame culture okay um, when an organization has a blame culture people are using all their time and energy to get around the system and when you have an empowered culture people want to use their time and their energy to improve things to be innovative and of course you can't be innovative if you're scared that somebody is going to come and hunt you down for making a mistake mm-hmm. and so to help people to be empowered, you really do have to coach them and you really have to encourage them. So I think that um, I would say an empowered and engaged culture goes hand in hand with a coaching culture. And, and what can you do to immediately embrace empowerment and engagement then? What does it look like from a leadership point of view? Oh, how long have we got? Um, <laughs> Not long enough as ever. <laughs> I think, first of all, it has to feel absolutely authentic. It can't mm-hmm. feel like something that the leadership team are doing to people. It has to feel like it's part of the DNA mm-hmm. of an organisation. And it can't feel as if it's a fad. So it can't be that one day we're asking our people, what do you think? What can you do? What are your ideas? And the next day we're telling them to just shut up and get on with it. <laughs> which um, which I, I have seen in organisations. It's kind of like people never know which manager they've got coming in the next day. Mm. So I think it's one where an organisation is really committed and to being inclusive in the way that they allow people to learn. And that means that anybody in the organisation might come up with ideas, might be encouraged or coached, and that knowledge is shared freely and lessons learnt mm. um, happen rather than witch hunts. Yeah. Yeah. And what has the landscape changed for you uh, during the time of this crisis? What are you observing in organisations? Yeah, Certainly, I think that everybody's had to settle down mm-hmm. and start to, you know, look at that survival level to start with, wasn't it? Are we okay? Mm-hmm. And so if organisations had been making great inroads into a coaching culture to start with, then they may then find that it sort of stalled because people weren't together or it went down the priority list. 
But I see in the next six months that there is going to be a massive amount of mental health issues through what has happened here. Mm -hmm. And there is going to be massive issues with getting productivity on track again. And also organizations needing to be more innovative and perhaps pivot. And so if they don't take notice and keep going with their coaching culture, or even start it now, mm. I think they're going to be disadvantaged. Mm. I, I would like to just split up what you said. So the, for me, there are two things. So mental health and productivity, and then innovation and creativity, almost two polarities, because one comes from a more sort of exploratory mindset, and the other one comes from a more sort of continuous improvement, running, changing the conversations that happen every day. Where do you think the levers are for those two different things in terms of coaching culture? How- I think, yeah, I think it's a really good question, Susan. I think that, you know, you're right, we need both. Mm. I think, again, it comes down to mindset mm. and how people are thinking, aren't they? Yeah. And so, you know, if we looked at the mental health issues, you, you can't expect people to be innovative and creative if they're feeling really anxious about yeah. being back in the workplace. Yeah. And therefore, you know, the managers have got to be very, very careful how they coach them back into the workplace and listen to them and support them through this period. So kind of one depends on the other happening, mm. really. Mm. And what would your advice be to leaders dealing with that? Because that is going to be their first and foremost challenge in going back to the workplace, whether it's remotely or face-to-face. Yeah. First of all, they have got to look as if they are really interested Mm -hmm. in hearing how people feel and what's been going on. And when I say that, that's that's not because I'm suggesting that they wouldn't be interested. Yeah, clearly. That they might have so much focus on what needs to be achieved and how much needs to be done that they may forget to, you know, truly sit down with people and say, how have things been for you? How are you doing with all this? And particularly as well, if they have people of colour um, and want to ask them about Black Lives Matter as well, because that's happened as well. Mm. And they need to have those conversations with people so that people feel that they can get it out and then be ready to work. So I think one of the things that really could be very important is getting all the team back together, however small or big the team is, and talking to them about what their experience has been like and doing a group coaching session in terms of what lessons have we learnt individually whilst we've been out of the workplace? What lessons have we learnt about the way we've been as a team and communicated? What can we take forward or not? So it's essentially looking at how they've been living this experience and then looking at what they would keep from that and and what they may change moving forward and having that courageous conversation as a team. Is, Is that right? Yes, Okay. And what's the biggest opportunity? Because I'm a big believer in innovation comes from constraints. And I know this is a tough time for everyone, but it also brings with it opportunities. What what opportunities do you see in terms of maintaining or implementing a coaching culture? Well, well, firstly, one of the ones we've just mentioned, I think there's a great opportunity for organisations to come back and to start with 
a much better lessons learned and continuous improvement mindset. Mm -hmm. So by starting doing that, they're doing that. Mm. I think there's much more opportunity for grassroots change. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got to look at this flexible working issue. And I was listening to a podcast the other day about, you know, if people ask for flexible working, do we have to give it to them? And there is certain legislation which says, yes, but there's no reason not to now. Yes, clearly. a really big opportunity to do some coaching around, you know, what works best for you, what works best for us, how's that going to happen? Mm. And I think HR will like this one. Um, There is an opportunity (laughs) to change the manager's mindset about the training Mm catalogue. Because I think that during performance reviews, often what would happen is if they had behavioural issues or problems, they wouldn't even really discuss it necessarily. They just say, right, what training do you need? Hmm. And I think going back post-COVID, um, not everybody's going to be in the office. I think virtual learning will continue for quite a long time, but they're really going to need to be more creative about where people's learning and development comes from. So it's hmm. an opportunity to wean them off that and say, hmm. here's how you identify development needs rather than solutions. Yeah, which is great. And I also think in terms of accountability within an empowerment culture, people have had to be accountable for their own learning during COVID because, you know, they've had to deal with themselves, but also deal with learning how to do new things and and how to learn differently, essentially. What I really liked in your books is the hands-on sort of tools and tips and, and the case studies that gives it an operational, almost playbook aspect. What inspired you? to write your two books? <laughs> the second one, How to Create a Coaching Culture, was actually a true story. Okay. Um, somebody that I was working with, mm-hmm. um, it's called Nancy's Story, and somebody I was working with and coaching her to implement a coaching culture, and very, very sadly, um, during that period, Nancy actually died Um, of cancer and so I wanted to dedicate the book to her because you know she had such immense drive to Mm -hmm. do this Mm -hmm. and um, such a great personality and Mm -hmm. we had lots of challenges Um, so you'll find those sort of interspersed in the book in between the toys of how Nancy was trying these things I remember um, to, to do that And I also wanted to share some case studies and some experiences from companies that I was studying and working with who seem to be making inroads Mm -hmm. into coaching culture. Mm -hmm. And and for the 50 Top Tools, it was just a genuine desire um, to help anybody who is a coach to say, here's some tools, here's some processes, here's how long it takes. I found that there were lots of books on coaching Mm. and you had to search quite hard to find the tools. There was a lot of narrative and tools. And I wanted, maybe it's just my learning style, I wanted something which was packed with tools. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think we're seeing more and more that experiential learning is the way forward. And as the face of learning changes, that's becoming more and more appropriate and topical isn't it for organizations to actually learn through iterative experimentation yeah definitely what would be your recommendation for organizations or individuals uh, looking to either start this process or maintain this process amidst a crisis i would say gather around you all of the people and stakeholders Mm -hmm. 
who might be invested in this, because what we tend to find is that there is no one blueprint for any organisation. Every single organisation either has some of these things already in play. They've got performance review systems. They might have mentoring programmes. They might have lessons learned strategy. They might have good exit interviews, good onboarding. There's lots of things which are often happening, but they're often not tied in to looking at a learning culture. So I would make sure that they regrouped and looked at what could be the you know good Mm-hmm. Um, small hits such as getting mental health first aid certificates and having an internal coaching pool going forward that could be quite helpful mm-hmm. and then I would say to them is that you can't wait for a good time to do this I don't think that you're mm-hmm. going to get through the next couple of months of really, really hard work um, to try and get business on track and then pay attention to this has to be done hand in hand. Mm, mm. And how long does it take? That's the million dollar question, isn't it? How long does it take? And it's a question I often get. How long does it take to create a coaching culture? From my experience of what I have seen, we're talking about to really embed it and to see the results from it. I would say three years. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you would say, Susie, but it's it's a long time. I, I think, yes, it's years and not months. I, I would say, yes, between three or four years because yeah. it's a whole journey, isn't it? And it's about getting people through the different stages of maturity, cultural maturity and cognitive maturity of, of what that means, not only for me, Susie, but for me within my organisation or within my environment. So I think it's interesting to look at large organizations would you say it's the same for smaller organizations as well and no obviously with smaller organizations and less people to reach it probably takes less time but I do think that you know you've got to think about it in terms of gardening and we've all been paying a lot of attention to our gardeners um, whilst we can and whilst we've been um, perhaps on furlough or working from home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guarantee that if we go back into the workplace in three months, if we don't touch them, we'll be back to where we were before. So, yes. you know, once it's there, it's got to be regularly gardened and weeded and looked after and nurtured. Yeah, so it's basically a journey, not a project. Is that what I'm Absolutely. hearing? Absolutely, yes. Okay, thank you. And... Would you have one last word on the role of a coaching culture in times of crisis? Yeah, I think that this is a critical time now, Mm -hmm. absolutely critical. And people will remember what we did at this time. Using that coaching mode to really help people to work through some of the things which have happened to them, some of the changes that need to be made and people need to to work through and to to really call on all of your coaching skills and particularly reflective listening. Excellent. Thank you, Gillian. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your thoughts with us. You can get in touch with Gillian on the Emerge Development website, www.emergeuk.com, and also find out more about what they do. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if so, please head over to iTunes and give us your opinion and review. So it's bye from me for now, and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk. Let's Talk.